this time on the Rolling with New York Mike podcast. They want to do everything and anything they can to make sure that Trump is ineligible to run for president again, ever, ever again. And that's their stated goal. And their ally in, in achieving that goal is the Department of Justice and the FBI. That's just the way it is. It's not, you can't deny it. It's sad, it, it is sad. The FBI has turned into a political tool of the Democrat party. Welcome to Rolling with the most patriotic man I know, my husband. And now, his podcast, Rolling with New York Mike. Get on the ride. Hi, this is New York Mike, and it's Rolling with New York Mike. It's been a while since the last podcast. We rode to Sturgis. Sturgis was phenomenal. We're going to talk about Sturgis. I got back this week. I did a podcast, believe it or not, I did a podcast on, it was either Monday or Tuesday morning, I think it was early Tuesday morning, and I fell asleep in the middle. (laughs) That's how crazy riding to Sturgis, being there all week, no sleep, we had the best time, and I'm going to talk about it, but I'm also going to talk politics here, there's so much going on. Some people think the GOP is on the verge of blowing the red wave, that they're losing focus on the things that they need to focus on. And it it was like a given. And I've been saying this for a long time. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the DOJ, Department of Justice. And uh, I, I laugh, but it's not funny. And their rating of the Trump, the FBI, what's going on? And I'm going to talk about something called content moderation. But first, let's let's talk about Sturgis, because I want to talk about the good stuff. It's, after all, it's rolling with New York, Mike, and that's how we roll. So we left for Sturgis. My God, has it been two weeks now? It's, wow, time flies when you're having fun or not. So Sturgis was great. Robert Patrick and I, Robert Patrick owns Santa Clarita Harley-Davidson, and making some big moves up there amidst A lot of controversy surrounding the brand, Harley-Davidson these days. There's a lot going on. Overall, I got to tell you, if I was just going to judge Sturgis on the event, not my experience at the event, but on the event itself, it was definitely down very significantly. When I speak to my, my friends, the people in business, the vendors and the lifestyle businesses. I'm going to get a readout of what they did. I, I know I was I was talking to Woody from the Buffalo Chip, and I said, what do you think? How are you doing? He says, well, we'll know by September. And, and you know, sometimes if you're preparing for, for something and you lower your expectations, and that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's reality. So you, you fix your costs, your overhead, your expenses, and adjust everything to a a situation that you 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 have to analyze these things i mean that's part of being a business you have to understand you have to be able to project where things are going it's not always easy but when gas prices are through the freaking roof inflation is crazy you, you got to figure there's going to be less people who are going to be traveling if it's not necessary unless they're going to a family event or it's a it's a, a business related i think people are cutting way back and i think that was predictable. 
but nonetheless, we had the best time. So the ride there, first place, we left on Friday. We met on Friday in St. George, Utah, and then rode from there all the way to Rollins, Wyoming. <laughs> we, we had a terrific time and didn't realize that when we rode to Boston last year, we didn't stop at Rollins then. We just rode through it. It was We were on the 80. We got off, got some gas and lunch. So we get into Rollins, check into the hotel. Now it's a little bit late at night, 7, 8 o'clock, something like that. And we said, where's a good place to eat? And they said, oh, you got to go down about a quarter of a mile down the road. And there's a place called Bucks. So we get on the bikes and we ride down the Bucks and we get off the bikes. And we say, wow, we've been here before. <laughs> and sure enough, when we were riding east to Boston and coming through, we stopped at the same place. It was kind of cool to do that. We had a good time, just a little aside right there. But then we went from there up into uh, Gillette, where we met Mark Novot and his buddy Lee. Lee's a cool dude. I hadn't met him before, but obviously Mark is riding with his all, all, all the fellow combat controllers. But Lee was a Marsoc Marine for about eight or nine years, and then switched over to the Air Force and became a combat controller. So it, it was an interesting kind of time. And, he was also riding an Indian motorcycle. <laughs> Got us a little bit off track. That's okay. Hey, it's American. I'm good. Not a fan of Polaris, but that's just that's just me. I've talked about that before. Nonetheless, so we meet in Gillette. We hang out for a while. Then we roll into Deadwood, which was kind of cool. Now, Robert was staying in Deadwood, and uh, me, Mark, and, and Lee were staying at the uh, Rushmore where we always stay in uh, Rapid City. I've, I've been staying there for over 20 years, maybe 25 years. So we got down to uh, the cigar place, the um, Deadwood Cigar Company, or Deadwood Tobacco Company, whatever. The place, it's in Deadwood, it's downstairs. It's the only cigar place in Deadwood. And uh, we've been going there for years. It's, it is kind of a landmark. A lot of Deadwood is. If you haven't been there, I'm talking about stuff. You really need to get there once or twice in your lifetime, especially if you ride motorcycle. Even if you don't, it's such a cool place. I love South Dakota. I love being there. I've been doing this for the longest time, since the mid-'80s. And it's just, I mean, places like Spearfish, which is, you know, all right in that same that same kind of sort of neighborhood. Spearfish, Wrightwood, um, oh, just great, wonderful places with great people, some really surprisingly good restaurants. And Deadwood itself is just a great town. Yeah, it's, it's not that big, but it's got so much. And, and entertainment and, and everything. Now, I, I haven't been there in the wintertime, though. That's true. But it's just so cool. So we go downstairs, and it's about, what, 8 o'clock at night. We get down there, and there's a, a table right when you walk in. There's four chairs at the, at the table that's empty, and boom, we sit down. And it's right across from the little bandstand they had. They got a, a, a little three-piece band that's playing, and they're pretty damn good. So I don't know Lee, but we're sitting there, and in between the breaks, he's talking to the uh, guitar player of the band. is a drummer, a guitar player, and a keyboard guy. And so Lee's talking to the guitar player. Next thing we know, 
Good. You know, it's noisy. We're smoking cigars. A lot of people, people walking in and out. And that, that was right by the front door as well. So a little bit distracting. Next thing we know, Lee's going up on stage. The guitar guy hands him his guitar and Lee starts strumming the guitar. Turns out he's a, a really good, I, I guess, bass guitarist. I wouldn't know from one from the other. But he turns out he's a really good bass guitarist and, and travels and plays quite a bit with his own band and gets up, starts singing. It was it was terrific. We we ended up sitting there just talking to a lot of people, enjoying some good cigars, stayed there kind of late. Went out on the street when we left to go back to our respective hotels and ran into Ray Dre. Ray Dre was with Harley for many years, a fantastic artist and, and responsible for a lot of the artwork and design on the bikes. And I, I guess he left the company about two years ago. It seems like a lot of people have been leaving the motor company <laughs> in the last few years. So we were standing there in the street talking a lot. There was Ray and a couple of other former Harley employees and me and Robert. Of course, I don't own the dealership anymore, but I, I, you know, I still consult and represent people. I'm, I'm very concerned about what's going on. And Robert, of course, has just made a big investment in Santa Clarita Harley Davidson. There, they just uh, contracted a new building that they're renovating and moving into. God knows how long it's going to take, but it's a major commitment. So we're talking to Ray and a couple of these other. Harley dudes about 11 o'clock at night on the street. And I, I think that's, that's set, I, I don't want to say it's set the tenor for the whole, the whole rest of the week, but it certainly was something that we were talking to a lot of people about the, the, the current state of uh, the motor company and its philosophy, the direction, just a, a lot of different things. The, the good news, of course, is that they're making, right now, they're making the best product ever, ever. And that's, and that's a great thing. I think you can say the state of the art in motorcycle technology, engineering, etc., has has risen to a point where there are so many brands that are making motorcycles that I, I, they're just, it, it's just a pleasure if, if you love the motorcycle world, the lifestyle of motorcycles overall, it makes you feel good. I don't care what the brand is. But when you're talking about American motorcycling and you're talking about Polaris and you're talking about Harley Davidson, it's really good to know that if brand Harley isn't the state of the art, it's as, state, as much state of the art as any other brand. Maybe a little bit better than, than most. And I'm proud of that. I, I think that's a great thing. But if you're still in the industry and your living depends on it, then yeah, mine still does. Like I said, I'm consulting and I'm doing things in the industry and I'm, I'm anxious to get back in the industry if I have an opportunity, if there's an opening. So I'm, I'm very concerned. I think this industry is very depend. I don't want to use the word dependent, but the way Harley goes is going to have a lot of meaning on the overall success of the motorcycle world. And we're concerned about it, Let put it that way. We, you know, we, we don't want to see Harley abandoning its core customer 
leave it as it is. I don't think that the fact that the overall Sturgis attendance was down and I felt like a lot less money was being spent from, from everything I saw, and, and that's appropriate. The country's in recession. Inflation is, is crazy, like I said before, and, and people are very concerned, and they should be. But there's still people celebrating and riding and sharing the great lifestyle, and there was plenty of that to go around. Some of the things that I really enjoyed, and I'm not a, uh, a music guy per se, it's not my, my thing. There are people that can quote the names of bands going back to the to the 70s and 80s and all that. I, I'm, I'm not one of them. I, I, don't know the, I don't know all that stuff. I, I worked in, in enough bars and clubs in my life that um, the, band, the bands were always what was causing the trouble. I keep on saying to people, when you talk about rock and roll, I said all, all rock and roll ever got me was a bunch of speeding tickets. <laughs> but that's, that's just me. Anyway, we got to see some cool people. Um, Aaron Lewis. Oh, my God. I mean, people I've never heard of. Aaron Lewis. Tim Monterey. Is that, was that it? I think it was Tim Monterey. I, I don't know. But this guy, Aaron Lewis. Oh, my God. Was he fantastic? <laughs> it was great. Red, white, and blue all the way. Hardcore, American, country, southern country, whatever you want to call it. Southern rock. I don't know. But he was so good. It was excellent. And then, of course, Travis Tritt who I've known for a while and uh, got got to hang with him for a little bit. And, and that was great. I, I don't think that the experience that we had would have been the same without my friend Brian Gates. So I've got to thank him. What a great guy. He is the bodyguard to the stars. That's what I call him. But that's what he does. And he, he's so professional that it was wonderful to have him and he just he just stepped up. And Robert Patrick and I, we wrote to Sturgis, I don't know if it was 10 or 11 years ago, and we had a great time. Kid Rock was playing, and we got to hang out with him for a while. But that was the only time Robert had been there. We also went up to um, Crazy Horse that trip. I spread the ashes of my friend Sputnik, who had passed away that June, and I went to Austin, Texas to his funeral and got got his ashes and carried them on my bike. And then Robert and I went on up to Crazy Horse. So we've been to Sturgis, but he hasn't been there as a uh, as a motorcycle dealer. And so his celebrity and the fact that he's a dealer made the trip a little bit different. So when um, I mentioned to friends who that I was coming and they asked me, hey, come on, you got to come to the Legends Rides. You got to come here. You got to come there. And, and we did. And we, we had a great time. And again, a lot of that was really because of how, how professional Brian Gates was in handling things. And it was just excellent. That's all I can say. We had a good time at the Buffalo Chip. That was great. We also had a great time. At the Full Throttle with Jesse James Dupree and Tim Budzin. It was really cool. It was good to see, again, Ray Dre. Fabulous guy as well as a great artist. If you see his artwork anyplace, you, you got to know he's really authentic. Steve Peel, retired from Harley Davidson. Scott Beck, retired from... 
Scott was uh, the, the, the head of marketing for Harley for a long time. And we butted heads <laughs> a few times over the years. But I, I remember having a, a big thing with Scott going back, I don't know how many years ago, it wasn't that long. And I remember saying, you know, Harley needs to have a place in Sturgis where they plant their flag. And without going into all the details, Scott agreed and we worked hard. And I, I think that since he's left the company, uh, the full throttle is where Hog plants their flag. And what a great job. And I, I, I got to say to Scott when I saw him, hey, it's been a few years, buddy. But if you wanted to know how your plant, what I say planting that flag worked out, which I said we had to have, go check out full throttle. And he agreed. It was great. Jesse James Dupree does a great job. Tim Budzin, phenomenal. It's really cool. And around the corner, of course, is the Buffalo Chip and Woody and Marilyn Stamp and some people that just great to see. I see him every year. And, and the guy that I missed and really missed is Kareem, Kareem Morelli, who was the owner of the Rushmore Hotel. And, I mean, I'm going back to the 90s late 90s, and I, I believe it was the late 90s when Harley left Rapid City and just went into Sturgis and left the Holiday Inn where they had, again, planted their flag for many years and uh, went to the Rushmore. At that time, I, I think it was the Radisson or something. Anyway, it was owned by Kareem, who's just a great guy, and him and his wife, Patul, just great hosts, and I can't imagine why else I would have stayed all those years in Rapid City, where you got to get on your bike and ride 30-something miles to Sturgis. Yeah. <laughs> it seems, when I think about it now, it seems kind of nuts. I did that all those years, but I did it because I wanted to stay with Kareem. That's how strong a host he was. And, of course, Harley Corporate had, I don't know, a couple of hundred rooms in this hotel every year. They still might, I don't know. But unfortunately, Patul got sick this year and they decided to sell the hotel. And sad, but nonetheless, the, the people at the hotel still treated us great. They did the best they could, but Kareem was, wasn't there. And tremendously missed, I, I got to say that. So, Kareem Morelli, if you're listening, and I know you listen, we missed you, buddy. And hopefully, Patul is feeling a lot better and getting healthy. And I hope to get to see you during the year. Uh, got to see Kevin Fax for a minute at the, the Legends ride. Sorry, I, I, I thought we were going to get together and I get to see her a, a little more. But that's, that's the way things go. And then, again, Woody and then Greg Smith. Every, every Thursday at the Buffalo Chip, they have Military Appreciation Night. And Greg Smith is the guy that, that handles that. It's a, you can see the stress. <laughs> you can see the stress in everybody's face except Woody. Woody is standing there just oblivious, just got a smile on his face, looking around. But he is clearly the driving force behind everything going on there. But and I don't know. Maybe maybe Marilyn plays a bigger role. But nonetheless, Greg Smith asked me to be the keynote speaker at the event. And I, and I appreciated that and got a chance 
to step up and get in front of that crowd with another dude, a guy named Jonathan. I hadn't met this guy before, former Navy SEAL and FBI. Whatever. We're going to talk about the FBI a little bit later. <laughs> but Jonathan was great. And then I closed it out. And I was happy to have that. I, I think we're going to try to fit in. I, I did a three-minute keynote speech. Doesn't sound like a long time for a keynote speech. But, you, you know, you're standing in front of 20,000-plus people that came there for, I don't want to say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They came there for rock and roll. They came there for a great time. And here it is, you know, something like 10 o'clock at night. And that, But you know what? The Military Appreciation Night, they give awards. They give out the Buffalo Chip, gives out a couple of track wheelchairs to some very worthy veterans, a motorcycle. They do a lot. And it, it's, it's a, you know, 45 minutes to an hour set of, of appreciating military heroes from the previous year or however they find them. Uh, Greg Smith it really just spearheads the whole thing. <laughs> He's the stress that guy is under, but he does a really good job. And Nancy Montgomery, whose husband was commanding officer of SEAL Team 7, I believe, and he was home healing from some minor surgery. So uh, Nancy did a great job. We appreciate her. I appreciate Greg, and I appreciate the opportunity he gave me. And uh, look forward to doing that again sometime. We're going to try to play that little three-minute moment at, uh, at the chip. I, was, I felt real good about doing it. I, and and uh, that's, that's the story, Morning Glory. So here it is. I want to introduce somebody else to you. Combat controller, Vietnam vet. My good friend, New York Mike, this guy knows about service. Let me say one other thing real quick. Today is the 82nd anniversary of the 82nd Airborne. Can we get some chants? 82nd, 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 82nd. There you go, brother. Hey, God bless America. Thanks for watching. Wow. that you might not have been told. First place, welcome home. And in second place, we never lost that war. The politicians lost that war. We never lost the battle. We never lost a gunfight. So I want to tell you, I know how you got treated because I got treated like a dog when I came back to America. It was hard. It was tough. People hated us. I love this country when I was in Vietnam, when I came back from Vietnam. There's not a day that I wake up that I don't love this country and thank God that I am an American. I don't care what they said, what they did, how they treated us. This is the greatest country in the world ever. And I've known that every day of my life. So, yeah, I want to celebrate the 82nd Airborne. It's an anniversary of the 82nd, 82nd anniversary of service as well. But I also want to remind everybody, in a few days, we're coming up on the first anniversary of the debacle in Afghanistan where we lost 13 of our bravest warriors unnecessarily. And you remember that. 
Because if the, if the politicians who lost the war in Vietnam are going to keep on losing wars, then we have to fight. Because we're going to go and we're going to fight no matter what. Because we joined because we love you, every one of you, and your family, and we love this country. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, we're going to keep on fighting. This country's born fighting. And now I want to ask everybody here one thing, one thing that you can do. Because you've got to believe in America. And as long as you believe in America, then nobody, whoever fought for this country, died in vain. You got that? If you believe, if you believe, you got to believe, they never died in vain. And what you can do for this country is vote. And that's how we win the war in America. We vote. I'm not against that guy no more. As a veteran, as a guy who's been in there, in the combat zone, I've seen it. And I'm asking you one thing to honor the people sacrificed to this country. One thing. Just please vote. Is everybody going to vote? Let me hear it. You're damn right. November 8th is coming. God bless you all. Because I know you're all patriots because you're here at the Buffalo Chip. Thank you. Thank God. Yeah, then the trip back. That was interesting. You, you might not want to hear the whole thing about the trip back. But I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it. I left... Friday morning after doing that speech at the chip and I, I left Friday morning and uh, and started heading home. I, I rode from uh, Rapid City to uh, Rawlings again <laughs> to the hotel and as I'm coming into Rawlings well for, for you know 50, 75 miles, it's dark, it's raining, it's cold. I just wouldn't stop I wouldn't put on my full face helmet. I wouldn't put on a jacket. I just, I had my vest and a t-shirt. And I said, I'm just going right through it. And I did, and it was fine. But as I got into town, it was like, okay, I'm, I held it up for you enough, Mike. That's it, no more. As I got into town within three minutes of where I was staying, um, the rain just came down in buckets. <laughs> and so I got off the bike thinking, okay, it'll clear up. And I pulled the bike underneath the, you know, the uh, overhang at the at the hotel, and run inside. And I go and figured, okay, I'm I'm gonna get over the box and have dinner. As soon as this stops, well, it didn't stop, so that didn't happen. It was horrible. But then the next day, I wanted to go. But I don't know how many years ago, 20 years ago, I remember going to Rollins, waking up in the morning at eight o'clock and saying, okay. I'm going to get to St. George, someplace, excuse me. And I rode all the way back to San Diego. If I remember right, it was somewhere between 1,100 and 1,300 miles. And I don't, I'm not a distance guy. I'm, I'm not, you know, an iron butt dude that I don't think it's so cool to ride 1,000 miles. I don't, I don't think I ever planned on riding 1,000 miles. Many times... I did plan on seven and 800 miles because I had to. Um, I, I remember last year coming back from Dallas all the way to San Diego and L.A. We had to do 700 miles to get to uh, Deming, New Mexico. And then from there, you know, to you know, home. And each of those legs was 700. But, they, you know, I, I, I don't do that a lot. But that trip, I remember, 
I did not get off the bike. Whatever the conditions, whatever it was that made that trip something that I just kept on getting that second wind and another second wind. And I, so here I am and I get up early in Rollins and I say, you know what? It's going to be fun to do that again 20 years later. So I get on the bike and it's about 800 miles to Las Vegas. And I figured I'll be in Las Vegas about nine o'clock at night and then just keep on going. I'll be home by one, two in the morning. So I, I wanted to do that because that's how I am. But I get all the way down to Mesquite, which I, that was about 700, if I remember right. Yeah, about seven. And I called Petrina and I said, honey, I'm probably be home about one in the morning. I'm, I'm in Mesquite. I'm going to I'm going to go through machine. Well, you're not, are you kidding me? Donnie, you can't do that. Don't do that. Call Tommy. Call your friends in Vegas. Get a place. And I, you know, she was right. So <laughs> she said, what are you trying to prove? Who are you proving this to? And she was right about that too. So I called my buddy Tommy. He ended up staying in Vegas. Had a great time. Got home Sunday before one o'clock, which was great. So, a little, little thing about it is riding through Wyoming and, and again, you know, stopping in several places. Wyoming's a, it, it's, it's a state I connect with. It's, it's really a red, it's a red state. And right now, why, you know, right now when I went through it uh, a week ago, it, it was, you know, Tuesday was the primary in, in which they were going to let Liz Cheney know just how they felt about it. But you can see all the signs. It's so political. It's so American, and it it was um, it was kind of kind of cool. By the way, I, I want I want to say one other thing about uh, what I said at the Buffalo Chip because I I did get to talk about veterans things uh, quickly, but I, I I wanted to make sure I reminded everybody there. That because they they were talking about the anniversary of the you know 82nd anniversary of the 82nd Airborne and it was also the 82nd anniversary of Sturgis and Greg wanted me to talk about that which I did and in the same breath I reminded everybody that within a few days it's going to be one year since the debacle in Afghanistan and I got to talk about that just just for a little bit they want to dwell on it but you know this week was that. And I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to remind people because the media is not talking about it. The media is is not talking about anything. You know, they just they just lie. And it's 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 pretty bad when you know people that are supposed to tell you the truth don't. And Here's, here's the situation in America right now where we did have a, a debacle, a horrible situation in Afghanistan. You know, I, I, I wear that um, uh, uh, MIA, POW, MIA belt buckle, and I, I don't wear it all the time, but I, I wear it a lot. And I wore it to Rolling to Remember this year. And I said, yeah, this is not about the POWs and the MIAs that we left in Vietnam, which we did. And, and that's where this issue 
you know, where we made it a big focus of, of our Vietnam vet generation and brought it to the surface about the, the, you know, the missing from World War II and Korea as well as Vietnam. And but now we're talking about how many Americans do we leave behind in Afghanistan? And how many of our Afghani allies whose lives are on the line with, you know, the Taliban just searching them out and they're going to kill them? How many? It's thousands. So that POWMIA emblem, that flag, takes on a new meaning. And I, I think, you know, the, the press isn't talking about it because they will not talk about anything that's going to cast any negative aspersions on the Democrat Party, let alone this Democrat president. And, and I think it's, it's, it's horrible for the country. But, you know, it, it's not a new story. It's not like this has been going on forever. It's, it's always been a challenge. When you can't get the mainstream media going back to the, to the Revolutionary War, you know, that's why Ben Franklin comes, comes up with his, you know, his poor Richard's almanac and, and the, you know, the print media that responded to the mainstream media that was so pro-British back then. And it, it just, it's, it's continued to today. And again, and, you know, I, I said this in recent podcasts, when you look at the New York Times in the 1930s, they didn't tell you what was going on in Germany. They didn't talk about Hitler and the Jews. They knew about it. We now know how clearly they knew about it, but they didn't communicate it. So we shouldn't be surprised about that. Um, but, you know, here we are. And I, I was just, you know, searching. I, I watch TV and I'm looking at Fox and I'm looking at Fox News. And I, I search through for different current events and things. And there's some media, some net grassroots thing. And they have this panel. And what is this panel talking about? They're, they're talking about all the social media, whatever, social media channels, if you want to call I don't know what to call them. And in, in essence, they're talking about content moderation. Content moderation. And how important it is and how they have to do it and how they have to seek out disinformation and then tell that social media outlet, you know, being it Twitter or Instagram or whoever, to um, erase, you know, that that content. That That's what content moderation is, is challenging what they say is disinformation. Well, who in the world are they? Free speech is the under, one of the underlying factors that makes America America. That's, that's what our freedom is all about. You're allowed to say things, and then if it's disproved, you can look stupid if you're going to tell me that there's, this is not inflation, if you're going to tell me we're not in a recession, if you're going to tell me that the bill you just passed is a, um, a, an anti-inflation or whatever they're calling it, it's just a lie. And, and the American people, they, we know it. We're not stupid. The American people aren't stupid. We understand 
for the most part. And if we don't, well, I, I don't want to say shame on us in a cavalier way, but we, especially in today's world where we have so much access, where everything is done in a fishbowl, everything. It's, um, there's, there's almost no excuse not to see what's going on. The transparency is just, it's, it's right there. And, and I, I think that's welcome on both sides. But then the interpretation, my interpretation is different than yours. That doesn't give you the right to, to, to erase my interpretation if that's what I feel. I need, I need to see that I can get it out there equally. You know, they, 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 they're using this term equity, which is, in, in my opinion, totally ridiculous. But we're out there. We could see it all. We're looking at what's going on. We're seeing the Department of Justice meet out justice by just constantly, for seven years now, constantly going after Donald Trump. Just, I mean, just you cannot deny the fact that they've been on him from the minute he walked down that escalator, became a candidate. I think they loved him as a candidate as he wiped out all, all of the other 16 uh, Republican candidates. But then when he was the candidate, after you know that whole primary thing, and, and he was the last man standing, then they turned on him. They loved him because he brought color and excitement and, and eyeballs to, to their um, networks. But then when he was the, became the candidate, they, they turned against him. So it's been going on now. And you, you could look at the Department of Justice chasing him with the help of the FBI. And you, you take a look at the FBI going after Trump and not going after Hunter Biden. And take a look at the, the so-called impeachment. Remember that impeachment where they said that he, in the Ukraine, that he said something that was hurtful to the candidacy of Joe Biden, right? And that's what they were impeaching him for? I mean, the whole thing was ridiculous. It was about this phone call with Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, where he, they accused him of doing something political to Joe Biden, which, I mean, I watched the whole thing. I didn't see anything like that at all. Trump called it a perfect phone call. Well, you know, I don't know what's a perfect phone call, but there was nothing said that in, in there that, that, that was impeachable. Nothing. Now, your interpretation may be different than my interpretation. So the, the, the end of the day, there was no impeachment. So, but here, here, you have the Department of Justice going after Trump within 90 days of a key election. And they're trying to do everything. Listen, it's, I'm not saying this. Everybody else is. Liz Cheney is saying it. All the never Trumpers are saying it. The Democrats are saying it. They want to do everything and anything they can to make sure that Trump is ineligible to run for president again, ever, ever again. And that's their stated goal. And their ally in, in achieving that goal is the Department of Justice and the FBI. That's just the way it is. It's not, you can't deny it. It's sad. It, it is sad. The FBI has turned into a political tool 
of the Democrat Party. Uh, that's that's how I've seen it. I mean, it's it's horrible. And when they put these people, you know, like Michael Flynn on trial and, and some of the other people, now they, they, they did the same thing with Trump's um, controllers, one of his chief of staff up in, up in New York. And the guy just pled guilty after a couple of years. They drain you. This is extortion. That's all the legal system in America is today. Okay? It's an opportunity to, to extort money and and to i mean you you at some point you just go okay look i i can't spend any more money on lawyers i don't have it if you don't have it you just cave in and say okay so the guy pled guilty he's gonna get i i forgot three months six months but this is what they're doing to trump and they just keep on doing it he keeps on fighting back fighting back he's got the money the resources the the personal resolve the ability to persevere. The man's tough as nails. And, you know, he's he's doing it in spite of him. But that doesn't make it right. Look at what's going on. And on the other side, you know, they've had that computer from Hunter Biden for like almost three years now. And 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 everything in there is real. Everything in there is truthful. They they know it. It's been it's been proven. There's real crime here. Do they go after Hunter Biden? No, because it might taint Joe Biden. It might taint Joe Biden. So here we have a situation. It's right in your face. If somebody asked me, what do you think of the FBI today? I was thinking about that because it came up. And I'm not a guy that, I'm not a defund, clearly not a defund the police. I'm clearly a guy that respects law and order. And especially, you know, the cops of this country. But how do you condone what's going on with the FBI? And, you know, they're the pit bulls that the Justice Department has sent after Trump. But there's a lot more going on here. You know, the Peter Strzok thing. And, I mean, it's, it's really disgusting. And if somebody asked me, I'd say the FBI is no more than, you know, the, the, the um, muscle of... Or, or, or the organized crime uh, funded by the federal government and the American citizens. Now, that's, a, that's pretty unfair, isn't it? But that's the way it feels. I, you know, that's, that's, the way it, that's the way it feels. It's just not right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, well, quote-unquote, inequities in, in, in the world. Um, and, and before I talk about a big one, that I, I want to talk about, you know, before we, we go off, because it's a motorcycle-related thing. It's it's not a good one either. But, you know, I, I said I I can see the GOP on the verge of blowing this, this red wave that everybody's been talking about. Oh, we're going to have this big red wave. And I've been saying for a long time now, please get out there. Do something to create a sense of urgency amongst amongst, you know, conservative voters. Because if we don't take back Congress, and I mean take it back, it, it's over. The left wing wins. The country will have what they want. This equity thing, I, I don't understand it. But they do. They feel white people are privileged beyond, you know, anything that we deserve. And we have some magic privilege because we're white. What bullshit? 
What absolute malarkey. It's, it's so racist to even say that. And yet, they come out and they say it and it's their platform. And they talk about it, They brag about it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get equity so that people of color. And I mean, I, I, I can go on and on for a long time. And then I might get arrested. <laughs> but it, it's just, it is so wrong. And we got to step up and fight against it. And I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about Americans, white, black, any color under the sun. I don't, there is nobody that's more deserving of anybody else. We're, we're all the same in the eyes of God, and we should be all the same in the eyes of the government and justice. Justice should be blind. And it's not. And oh, you're going to say, oh, and I heard this guy today, this guy on Fox was arguing with. Lisa Booth, I forgot the guy's name, He's a former New York representative, Democrat. And he says, you know, there's no justice because people with money can afford the lawyers and all that. You know what? People with money can afford nicer cars, better homes, you know, better. Are you privileged because you have more money? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does, does that mean that, that that's limited to white people? or conservatives, or Republicans, for crying out loud, what a stupid, stupid statement. How many, how many people of, of, on the left, you know, well, George Soros, for Christ's sakes. I mean, Bruce Springsteen, he's right there with George Soros, in my mind. <laughs> All these people are free to make money, to get out there and work and be successful. We're also free to fail, you know? How, how many times... You know, have, have I been on the verge of going totally broke in my life? My dad, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. I remember riding a bus with my dad and, and him pointing to somebody in the car and said, son, if you work hard and, you know, you, you do this, you go to school and, you, you, you know, all this stuff, you can, you know, you can have a car. You don't have to be on the bus and be on the train and be on... I mean, what an idiotic statement for somebody to make. And and here is, you know, again, Mike Flynn did pretty well in life. Mike Flynn had substantial amount of resources. It was all gone because the FBI nailed him. They said he lied to the FBI, which he did not. And it was not about anything at all substantial. And sometimes you could say something and then something else that is is in conflict. It's not a lie. It's so, I mean, but then there's your money. How many people end up going to court and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars? I mean, with Flynn, it was millions. But even, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you could lose everything. And a lot of people do. I mean, people talk about you know, medical bankruptcy. They say healthcare is not equitable or whatever because, you know, people go bankrupt because they have to fund their, their medical conditions. It's the same thing with their, with, the, with their legal conditions. It happens all the time. People are sued every day. I've been through that. I know what it feels like. It, it ain't pretty, but... You know, it's 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 not limited 
to Republicans or Democrats or liberals or conservatives. It's, it's, it's something that's wrong and it's something I don't like. I think it's something that tort reform is something that we need desperately and have needed for years, for generations. Uh, 30 years ago, I, w I was yelling and screaming about tort reform in this country. <laughs> and it's, it's something that I, I, I think is, is big time important. And yes, you know, like the, the idiot said, that, oh, I shouldn't call people names, like this guy said this morning, which was an idiotic statement. That oh yeah, if you have money, you you can have you know you can have better justice. I'm sorry, but you know, money, which is the source of all evil, uh, is also the source of most opportunity. So get it together. I I, I want to talk about the the I, I've talked about the MRF, the Motorcycle uh, Riders Foundation, a great source of information and um, a, a lot of the things that that go on that people don't even think about. You ride motorcycles, you're in, you're in the industry as a vendor, as a, a builder, as a, a dealer and whatever. You, you, you need to spend more time appreciating the Motorcycle Riders Foundation. They do a lot in Washington. It's, an, it's a political organization. It's really the political arm of the motorcycle world. Um, it's, I guess you'd call it the umbrella organization of all the abate groups around the country and the other um, motorcycle rights organization, uh, which we call MROs around the country. And sometimes they come up with stuff that you don't want to hear. But a few years ago, uh, seven members of the Jarhead Motorcycle Club, obviously that's a Marine Corps motorcycle club, were killed in New Hampshire when a 26-year-old truck driver who... They found, now I don't know the details of this, they, but I, I just read and I remember reading then that he had taken heroin, fentanyl, and cocaine that, you know, they found on him. Uh, when they, he ran into the, he was weaving on the road and here, come this, here comes this motorcycle club and he hit the first rider and then just went through the rest and killed seven people, okay? And he, one other factor, he had a DUI arrest. This is a 26-year-old truck driver. He had a DUI arrest in Connecticut two months earlier, and the jury just found him not guilty. Do you believe it? They found him not guilty. And if it wasn't for the MRF, I, I wouldn't know anything about this. But when you talk about injustice, and I don't know, you know, I'm not here to, you know, for content moderation of that situation. Um, I'm, I'm not going to try to say I know what all the facts are, but look it up, check it out. And, 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 you know, you can see for yourself that these are injustices because from my point of view, and I think that anybody... Um, and anybody who's a who's a, who's a motorcyclist, you know, has to look at this and and go, get scared. What is it we, where we go on trial and people look at this because we're club members? So the point to the story that, that it's, it's, to the story sounds kind of trivial to the situation where there there are seven members of this 
Marine Motorcycle Club, the Jarhead Motorcycle Club, are killed. It's not just a story. It's, it's a tragic reality. And it, it's just something that should make us all aware. You, you, cannot, you, you cannot just assume that the, 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 what you think is justice is going to be meted out by a jury. You got slick lawyers and you have good lawyers and bad lawyers and, and and they seem to be able to manipulate the truth. I mean, this truck was going down the road and bobbing and weaving and then the the expert who testified said the motorcyclist, they lead motorcyclist who's dead, who was killed and can't stand up and argue the point that he was aiming towards that truck. And even if the truck was in the center of his lane, that motorcyclist was headed towards him and if you think about it, the, the truck is bobbing and weaving. This guy in the lead of, 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 this, of, the, of the group, of the ride, is trying to anticipate which way he's going to go. So he's trying to lead his bike and, and his group to where he thinks the truck is not going to be. And he miscalculates. And they're all killed. And the jury says that the, the driver of the truck is not guilty. You've you got to scratch your head. And say you 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 better be better prepared to fight for every inch of 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 everything you want in life for everything you gotta fight for your own justice. There's no injustice because of people who, who what their color is or their their religion is or their, it's it's injustice is everywhere. You gotta fight for every bit of territory, for everything that you want in your life, for you, for your family, for your friends. You, that's what you've got to do. And that's what this country enables you to do until people want to cancel you. This cancel culture, this content moderation, everything about free speech is just something that is destroying all the things that make this country great. But we have to remember, do not assume anything. Oh, they always said, assume makes an ass of you and me. That's what assume does. So do not assume that there's going to be justice this coming election, November 8th. If you don't get out there and vote and make sure your friends vote and your family members and anybody you know votes, if you don't get out there, then we are responsible for what we don't get. We need to take back Congress. Period. This is our opportunity. We need that red wave. We, we need that. And the only way we're going to get it is if we fight for it. Because the media is, a, is against us. They are fighting against us and they're a huge factor. Don't go saying, ah, why vote? It's, it's fixed. Fight for everything. Fight. If, if you lose the fight, at least you know that you gave it your all. At least you know you left nothing. You left nothing in the ring. You had the opportunity and you did everything you could. Feel that way. Right or wrong, win or lose. At least feel like you gave it everything you have. So that you know, we have to do this. We have to. If you love this country, let's take it back. Let's do this. Let's get out there. Do not allow this this red wave that we're seeing don't lose focus don't lose the impetus know that the democrat party wants to defund the police that's what they want to do 
They want to see socialism. They want to see, they want to see higher taxes. They've failed in an army that will attack you. 87,000 IRS agents. You think that's going for the 700 billionaires in America? You think it's going for a handful of multimillionaires? No, it's going for you and me, baby. That's right. Don't assume anything because it'll make an ass of you and me. Don't, you just don't assume that anybody's going to put 87,000 IRS agents out there and give them the instruction, if you're going to apply for this job, be prepared to use deadly force. That's exactly what they're doing. And there's a lot more to this story. We'll talk about that next time on Rolling with New York Mike. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Thanks for Thanks for everything. I, I really appreciate the support that we're getting here on, on Rolling with New York, Mike. And, uh, yeah, we have a lot more to talk about. And, by the way, I'm going to talk about my, my eye surgery this week. Another, <laughs> another, hello, I'm back <laughs> for the week. All right, I'm New York, Mike, and I'm out of here. Thanks for listening to Rolling with New York, Mike. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to keep this podcast rolling.